I am super excited to transition into not only today's message, but a new series that we are doing on the life of Joseph called Unbreakable. If you were here for our New Year's service, it was a great day. I mentioned in that service where we did talk a good bit about Joseph, that we'd be doing a deep dive on his life later this year. Well, now is later. It's is later. And so we're getting into it today. I got to tell you, um, I've always really loved the person and the story of Joseph for a few reasons. First of all, as a Bible nerd, I really like that we get to see him from a teenager all the way to his death. There's only a few people in Scripture that we get to see that much of their life, and Joseph is one of those. So we get to see him in a lot of different seasons and situations, and we can learn and glean a lot from that. Another thing that I love about the story and the person, really, of Joseph is that he was a tenacious person. His tenacity, his commitment towards righteousness and integrity, he just kept doing whatever it takes no matter what. Um, I was talking with someone in our church a few weeks ago who was in a tough place, and I said, hey, all you can do is get back up and do the next right thing. And sometimes that's all it takes. In fact, that comes from Proverbs 24, 16, which says this, though a righteous person falls seven times. How many ever fallen? Seven times since yesterday. Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. Sometimes, sometimes, here's the thing, we all fall. We all trip and fall. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we fall because someone put something in our path we weren't expecting. Sometimes it's totally self-inflicted. But, but oftentimes the difference between whether or not in the end you end up on the path of righteousness or you end up sitting in the seat of the scoffer among the wicked has to do with whether or not you get back up. You fall, you stay down, that trends towards wickedness. You fall, you get back up and put your eyes on Jesus, that trends towards righteousness. And what I love about Joseph is that's who he was. I also love that he was a very forward-thinking guy. Not only was he prophetic, but he used the prophetic insight that he had from the Lord to look into the future and to plan accordingly. He could hear the voice of God. It's one thing to hear. How many know? You hear a lot of things, but if you don't take action, doesn't matter what you hear. So Joseph, he heard the voice of God, and he followed according to what he heard. Even in the face of his own death, he was looking into the future. Hebrews eleven twenty two says this. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph had an eternal perspective, and I think that eternal perspective is part of what kept him full of faith and focused on being as competent and as righteous as he could. He wanted to be as good as he could uh, at what God had put in his hands, and he also wanted to honor God as best he could with the trajectory of his heart and his life, and he had an eternal perspective that helped him to do just that. I also think he embodied what the New Testament speaks of, Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. Let me read this for you. A lot of scripture today. I hope that's okay with you. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We talk a lot at, at Vintage Church about personal vision, and here's all we really mean by that. Seeing your life in light of God's plans. 
That's how you set your personal vision. God, what is your plans for my life? I want to see my life in light of your plans. And this is how Joseph lived his life. This was the trajectory of his life. He, was, he, he experienced so many contradictory things. He was chosen, but then he was rejected. He was loved until he was hated. He was favored, but he was also abused. He was betrayed, but then he was rescued. He was promoted, and then he was imprisoned. He was tested, then he was rewarded. He was slandered, or he was praised again. He was disempowered, then he was re-empowered. And he never took his eyes off the Lord. Through it all, he followed Yahweh faithfully. He did the next right thing consistently. In spite of his circumstances, he was used by God in powerful ways. Adversity didn't harden harden him. Prosperity did not ruin him. Temptation never destroyed him. Imprisonment didn't embitter him. And what I most respect about Joseph is this, the promotion did not change him. The same guy that he was when he was a nobody is who he was at the end of his life. He was a truly great man. And we're going to spend the next seven weeks, including today, studying him and learning lessons from his life. Now, with that, let me encourage you. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. We got people out at the lake. Woohoo! That's fun. Go do it. Right. I love all of that stuff too. But let me encourage you for something. This is going to be a message series that is going to help build you in a way that will help you face the problems that we are experiencing today. So I want to encourage you, if it's in your power, don't miss a Sunday. And by the way, don't come alone. This is a great time to invite people to church. You want to know how I know? Because it's always a great time. Because it's always a bad time. I don't know if you've noticed this. But you're thinking about inviting people to church. Like right now it's summer. And people are like, oh, man. Kids are finally out of school, finally done with all those programs. I can finally relax. And you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm gonna invite them to church. But they're like, I don't need another thing on my plate right now. So then you just don't invite them to church because they said they don't need another thing on their plate. And then the fall comes and it's back to school time and it's all the things that happen in the fall. And now it's the it's the new sports stuff that kick up and it's all the things that happen. It's the PTA, it's the theater, it's all the stuff at school. So you're thinking, I'm not gonna invite them this time because they got a lot going on. And then it's the holidays. How many know? No one has time to go to church in the holidays. There's far too many parties unless you show up to maybe the Christmas service. That's the one. All right, we're going to try to slide into that one, but we got no time for this. So you don't invite them then. Then you get to the spring, right? And it's always springtime. Everything's fresh and new. We're all starting our club soccer. And my kid's going to be in the MLS. And mine's going to be in the NFL. And mine's going to be in the NBA. Here's what I say. I just hope your kid makes it to heaven while they spend all those times in sports. But you say, I'm not going to invite them because they got so much going on. All this tells me. There's never actually a good time to start going to church, which means it's always a good time to start going to church. So as we get into this this summer, I want to encourage you, man, try hard to not miss a Sunday and try even harder to not come alone, not come alone. We are trying to reach people in this area and make it hard for people in Liberty Hill to go to hell. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it hard for people in Liberty Hill to go to hell. Speaking of that, I want to just uh, uh, highlight someone who wanted to be a fly on the wall. Uh, but my friend, Pastor Chris Wimberly, is here with Daniel from his team. Chris, would you just raise your, I want to make you stand up. Just raise your hand over there. Chris, pastor, Salem Hills Church. Maybe you've heard of that. Chris was very generous when we were launching our church and let us have our launch team meetings at his church before we started ours. Um, and so now they are getting ready to move into a mobile environment. He said, can we please um, not pay any more dumb tax than we have to and come and learn from you guys? And so he's here today uh, shadowing our team and learning about how we do mobile church. And I just want to honor you, man, because you are also making it hard for people to go to hell in Liberty Hill. And I'm glad to be a, a part of the same community that you are a part of. 
Getting back to Joseph, listen, we're going to have a lot of time to dig in. We're going to have a lot of time to dig in. But if I could sum it up in one paragraph, here's what I'd say. And before I say it, let me throw this. We've got a little timeline to put on the screen for you. I want you to have some context for who this is that we're talking about. So Joseph, he was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, who was the grandson of a guy you may have heard of named Abraham. That's right, Abraham. And Joseph enters the stage of biblical history when he's 17 years old. But his brothers hated him. And they sold him into slavery in Egypt, where he was falsely accused of rape. He was in prison with no hope of getting out. Uh, because he correctly interpreted a dream that the Egyptian Pharaoh had, he then somehow becomes prime minister of Egypt. He goes from the outhouse to the penthouse because of a vision and a prophetic word that God gave him to interpret a dream. Eventually, he welcomed his family to Egypt. He was able to preserve the line of promise that started with his great-grandfather, Abraham, and would later end in someone you may have heard of by the name of Jesus. It also may surprise you to know that Joseph's story, there's more ink spilled telling the story of his life even than that of Abraham's. And that fact alone should clue us in to the idea that this is no ordinary life. This is no ordinary man. This is no ordinary story. Joseph is literally the hinge that connects the book of beginnings, which is Genesis, to the book of redemption, which is Exodus. His life is right there in that pivotal spot, just like Jesus, his life was in the pivotal spot between the old covenant and the new. So with that, let's get into the bulk of our scripture today. And I wanna do something different. If you don't mind, just take a deep breath with me and then stand to your feet. Let's stand and honor the reading of God's word. I'm gonna read a little bit of a lengthy passage. You're welcome to read out loud if you'd like, or just follow along on the screen. But we're gonna start by reading the first part of Joseph's story. It comes from Genesis 37. Verses one through 11, it says this. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphath, his father's wives. And he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to the dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up. And your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, are your mother and brothers and I going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You may be seated. You know, Exodus tells us how the people of God were delivered from slavery in Egypt. Joseph's story tells us how they got there in the first place. Joseph's story begins with no real introduction. It's just here he is. He's 17 years old. We just know a few things about him. He's a teenager. He's working in the family business. And he doesn't have a clue 
about his own future or how to talk about these dreams that God has given him, right? But before the story's over, Joseph will become like the prime minister of Egypt. The story begins only as a dream, but it's clear enough that God was preparing something for his future. He was preparing his destiny long before Joseph himself was even aware of exactly what was happening. And maybe that's how it is for some of you here today. God is preparing you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. But right now, maybe you can feel it, but you can't quite see it. Or maybe you can't even feel it, but you still need to believe it. Because here's what I know is true. Just like Joseph, what is today is not what will always be. What you're experiencing today, it's not how it's going to always be. Some of you are in seasons of blessing. Hear me. Hardship may be coming. Some of you are in seasons of great hardship. And maybe it's been a long season and you don't have any idea how you're going to get through it. God does. What is today will not always be. But like Joseph, if you want to experience the fullness of God's blessing in your life, you have to stay committed to righteousness and faithfulness in your own heart, in your own life, towards God. Some people sum up Joseph this way. I'll read it for you. They say this. He had Abraham's dignity and capacity. He had Isaac's purity and power of self-devotion. He had Jacob's cleverness and buoyancy and tenacity. And, of course, he had his mother's good looks, humor, and knack for management. Although God had been preparing the way for Joseph long before he was born, he still had to determine and discover what his life was going to be about. He had a great history, great lineage, right? Also, a lot of scandal. It's a mixed bag, kind of like most of our families. But God had something in store for him. His job was to be faithful to the process. And when he did, ultimately, he would save his family and change the course of human history in ways that affect you and me, even sitting here today. We read in our passage, he was loved by his father. He was hated by his brothers. He had a life filled with turmoil, but through it all, he emerged triumphant by God's grace. Joseph was a man who conquered crisis after crisis by a supreme trust in God. And he becomes a key link in the chain of God's plan, again, that would bring about Jesus the Messiah many years later. Joseph saved his own family in the same way Christ would come to save the whole world. As you can tell, today is a bit of a kickoff, so we're doing an overview of the life of Joseph. With that in mind, let me just dig in. I'm going to throw some things on the screen for you. I want to look at some of the lessons that the life of Joseph can teach us. Just, just a quick hit bullet point. We'll run through some of these. There's not even anything to write down yet, so you can just stay with me. We'll walk through this and see what we can learn. Joseph's life teaches us about trusting God when you're in the pit of despair. How many have ever been in a pit of despair? You're in the pit and you look, you see somebody's initials carved. You're like, somebody else was in this pit before I got here. Speaking of carving initials in a pit of despair, my wife and I just mentioned we went to Washington, D.C. last week and last Sunday while y'all were here worshiping Jesus, having a good time in church. We went to go hike at Great Falls uh, in, 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 southern, in northern Virginia. And, you know, as I told you before I left, my wife likes to hike, so we're going on a hike. By the way, there's some apps that tell you about hikes. They lie to you. So we thought it was going to be like a four-mile hike turned into pushing seven. Okay, it was much more difficult than what we all expected. But early in the hike, we're walking on the path, and we see this dude, and he's like this with the stick sort of pointing at something. And Ashley's like, I bet it's a snake. And so we walk up, and sure enough, there's a snake there. Now, why he's poking this 
snake with a stick. I don't know. Not everyone is as smart as everybody else. But he's poking this snake with a stick. So we see the snake, and then we keep on moving, and we're on our hike. And then we're going up, you know, this trail, and we see a tree that had no bark on it, and all these people carved their initials. So Ashley's like, hey, let's carve our initials on this tree. Cool. So we're trying to do it, trying to find a flat spot. And um, it, it was not going well for her. So I said, well, let me try. Let me, let me try this rock. So I take this rock and I start carving it. And as I'm intently focused on putting an N plus A in this tree for Nate and Ash, for those of you who are slow on the uptake, N plus A, all of a sudden Ashley screams at the top of her lungs and points down at my feet and yells, of course, what do I do in this moment? I have a big rock in my hand. So naturally, I'm looking for the snake, but I'll see a snake. So I just throw that rock down anyway, hoping I'm gonna scare the snake that I can't see away from me. And I say, let's go. And I take off running and I'm running up the trail only to hear the loud, boisterous cackling of my wife's laughter still standing at the tree where there was never a snake to be found. was in the pit of despair on the side of a mountain the Great Falls, West Virginia. We got out alive. She's lucky she did after that. But like the Lord, I'm gracious and compassionate and kind in all of my ways. And so I love you, and we're still here today. Yes, hallelujah. Great marriage. Great, great, great marriage other than that one moment right there. But all's well that ends well and things are still going good. So we're going to continue to learn some more things from Joseph. Next is how to deal with sexual temptation. Listen, this is, someone, so this is a lesson that everyone needs to learn, not once, not twice, but thrice and maybe even more. We're also going to learn how to redeem a painful past. One of the things I hope that all of you get from this study is that no matter what you've been through, no matter how many mistakes you have made, no matter how many times somebody else rolled a boulder in front of you or yelled snake when there wasn't one and made you act a fool and do something stupid, and get yourself in trouble. Or maybe some of you have self-sabotaged and you've made your own bad decisions and now somebody told you, you made your bed, you gotta lie in it. No matter how bad it has gotten, there is hope. You woke up today, you're still breathing. Guess what? That means God still has purpose for you, destiny for you, and he is ready to move on your behalf. No matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how far you think that you have gone, nothing you have done is beyond God's redemption. And we learn that from this story right here. We're also going to learn what to do while you wait because guess what? Surprise, whether you're young, counting down the days until you can get out of school or you're middle-aged and you're counting down the days to retirement or you're late in life and you're counting down the days for other things, we all have to learn how to wait. Sometimes following God is how we act and sometimes following God is how we wait with patience and hope and perseverance in the midst of not being able to see what he's doing right in front of us. In the life of Joseph teaches us how to wait. He helps us to see God's will in all things. Hear me, God has a will for your life. Now, I don't, I'm not one who believes that God's like a chess player moving your life around like a pawn. I do think you were created in his image. And part of being made in his image means that you have freedom of will too. So you can choose to follow his ways or not. God is sovereign. He's going to get done what he wants to get done. You get to, not got to, you get to participate in that if you want to. It's your choice, but it's a choice you have to make. 
Many people choose their own way and their lives lead to ruin and destruction. Other people decide God is true. God is sovereign. He has a will that will come to pass no matter what. And I want my life in the center of that will. And that, my friends, is where the blessing comes. And we can learn about this from the life of Joseph. We can also learn how to make wise plans. Joseph was a wise planner. His wisdom and planning would end up saving not one, but two nations by the time he passed away. We can also learn about how God awakens a guilty conscience. Listen to me, there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. And I could preach a whole message on it. But here's what we have to know. We're all sinners. We all fall short. So not sinning is probably not on the plan for your life because your name isn't Jesus. But there is something that God has given us called a conscience. And it's that thing that when you do something wrong or you think something wrong or you say something wrong and you go, oh, I just feel a little off here. Listen, that feeling is not designed to punish you. That feeling is designed to get your attention and redirect you. God uses this. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, there's two things you can do. One, you get that feeling you're doing something wrong and you keep doing it anyway. The feeling goes away slowly but surely. You no longer feel that anymore. You know what hasn't changed? The sinfulness of your sin. That hasn't changed. The only thing that changes is how you feel about it when you sear your conscience over and over and over. That's what the Bible calls us to is something called repentance, which is not being sorry. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. Repentance is not even, I'm sorry I hurt you. Repentance is changing what you do. I was going in this direction now I'm going in this direction. That's what repentance is. And God gave us a conscience to help get our attention, to let us know. Like the little bumpers on the bumper, on the, on the bowling lane. You take your kids, you turn on the bumpers, that ball hits it, it lets you know. Oh, you got too far. If the bumper wasn't here, you'd fall in a ditch. God gives us a conscience like bumpers on a lane. But if we don't want it, we could turn it off and stay in the ditch all of our lives. We have to learn how to hear and adjust to our own guilty conscience. It's a gift from God. And Joseph, the life of Joseph and the story of Joseph will teach us about that. The marks of true repentance, like we already talked about, it's not just being sorry, it's about being different. How to live for God in a pagan culture. Listen to me. The answer to the things we are facing today, we're facing a crazy time in culture. But I have to tell you, the answer to what we're facing is not, let's pack up and go pray and hope for Jesus to come back tomorrow. Now hear me, today would be a good day. Anybody with me? Today would be a pretty good day for Jesus to return. But that's his business. And Jesus said, I don't even know when I'm coming. Only the Father knows, okay? So anybody who tells you I know when Jesus is coming back, I know people spend a lot of money on billboards, advertising, social media. Uh, I remember years ago, somebody took out like a $20,000 billboard on I-35 to tell you the date, the time, and the hour. And I'm like, if this guy would have just read the Bible, he could have gave me that money instead of spending it on here. Because no man knows the day or the hour. So while we hope for the return of Jesus, that's not your action plan right now. Your plan and mine, God's will for our lives, is that we be salt and light in the world that we live in. Do you know what salt does? It preserves. So in a world where they want to preserve nothing and just pursue fake progress, we as the people of God have to know his word, know his will, know his ways, and preserve that. Also, we're called to be light. Do you know what light does? Light shines in the darkness so that you can see what is happening. Now, I am a fan of darkness in this one sense. Does anybody else like to sleep with like blackout curtains in your room? Yeah, I, I like that. I got some blackout curtains and they almost black out. But also, 
I hope you if, you, if you, if this makes you want to leave the church, go to his. It's a good one too. Um, you might disrespect me just a little bit after I tell you this, but sometimes, I'm going to say it quiet because I don't want anybody else to hear. Sometimes I sleep with a mask on. It's true. <laughs> because I need darkness to quiet this mind and go to sleep. So sometimes I sleep with a mask on. Although last night I put it on, it was wet, and then it dawned on me that our dog had been chewing on it. So it's currently in the trash can. I need to get another one. <laughs> Soon, because the wet sleep mask is no longer my sleep mask, belonging to the dog, but because uh, I'm a little upset about it, I just threw it away. The dog's not going to get the joy of continuing to chew on my mask. But I'll tell you the story. So a few months ago, I was on a flight. Um, I was flying to New York, and, you know, it's not a crazy long flight, but it's like four hours. But the worst part was it left at like 5 a.m. or something. I had to get up some ungodly hour when even the sun has enough sense not to be up, you know, that hour. Um, and so I'm on the plane. I'm thinking I'm going to take the mask with me so that I could get a little sleep on the plane. And the mask works really, really good. When you wear the mask, this is why I wear it. Like this bright light on my face right here, if I put the mask on, I would see no light. No intrusion. It's that good. It's just pitch black darkness. So I'm wearing this mask. I'm on this plane, and the guy next to me, um, as as we're flying, and the sun, you know, is coming up, and I'm sure it was awesome to look at the sunrise through the window of a plane. Awesome, yay! Uh, it's great. He opens that, but then he like bumps me, and it makes me kind of move, and my headrest, which I of course had delicately wrapped around my head to keep my head from, you know, because I'm a little bougie sometimes. It's okay. And so I, I've got all this going on, but he does this, and he kind of bumps me, and then my mask gets. And next thing you know, like the very light from the throne room of heaven is shining through this window into my face. And do you know what it was? It's a word that starts with O. And the word is offensive. It was offensive to me that this light had now come into my darkness. And here's what I have to tell you about that. Sometimes as believers, when we shine the light into dark places, the presence of the light itself will be deemed offensive. Now listen, I don't like mean-spirited people. I'm not telling you go be mean to people. But what I am saying is sometimes when we just tell truth and shine light, the very pre- the sun was doing nothing wrong. The sun's just doing what it does. We're just flying. But the light comes in was offensive to me because I wanted to remain in darkness. Are you with me? There are people today that want to remain in darkness and therefore your light that shines. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We sing a, oh, he's the light of the world. No, you are the light of the world is what he said. That was his words, not mine. And when you shine your light, sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. And here's what I have to say. In the world we live in, let me just help you with something. Comfort is not your goal. Safe is not your goal. Truth, righteous, justice, those are your goals. And it's going to be uncomfortable. So my encouragement to you, as a follower of Jesus, who's designed by God to be salt and light in the world that we live in today, is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. The life of Joseph is going to help us do that. And of course, through that, we're also going to see from his life how to overcome bitterness. And yes, even how to die well. I don't know about you, but that's not something I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to die well. We're going to learn that too from Joseph. Before I close, I want to give you kind of four guiding observations. Again, today's a big overview, and I hope you get something out of it, but it's setting the stage for the next six weeks, and you're not going to miss a Sunday. So this is going to be really helpful for you when you come back next week and we dive even deeper into this. Number one, you can get out your notes now. I'm going to let you take take some notes if you'd like because you're smarter with a pen. It's true. Science. Okay. Uh, Four guiding principles 
Number one, Joseph is a type of Christ. That's your word, write it down. Joseph is a type of Christ. And when we say Joseph is a type of Christ, we have to explain this. So some people think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Maybe you've heard them in the middle of a ball game. They're not too happy with the call of the ref. And they use his first and last name to exclaim their disapproval with what's taking place. But I have to tell you that Christ is not actually his last name. He was Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. That was his, his name. They knew surnames like we do today for the most part. Christ is a word that comes from the Greek word Christos, and it means anointed one. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word that you're looking for would be a word called Messiah. So Jesus was a Messiah. Do you know what a Messiah is? A Messiah is a savior. Messiah is a savior. And so in a very real sense, in a very real sense, Joseph, like Jesus, was a savior for his people in his time. And he was raised to power at the right time to save his people from a great famine in the land. And because of the position God put him in, and his agreement and obedience with God's will for his life, he was able to save people. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar when you think about Jesus, but I'm talking about Joseph. He was loved by his father, but hated and betrayed by his brothers. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. He was falsely accused. He was judged guilty of a crime he did not commit. He was abandoned and forgotten by those who should have cared for him the most. He was promoted, though, after he first suffered. Uh, he was the means of salvation, even for those who betrayed him. W.H. Griffin Thomas in his commentary on Genesis says this about Joseph's life. He says, it's impossible to avoid seeing the close, prolonged, and striking resemblance between Joseph and the Christ. In fact, there's no less than 60 different parallels between Joseph and Jesus. If you want to be a Bible nerd like me, go put that into your, 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 your web search. Parallels between Joseph and Jesus. You're going to find at least 60 that you can kind of nerd out on, and it's pretty wild. And if you're not a Bible nerd, you should become one. It's a pretty good life. Um, but you can find that on your own. The point is, the life of Joseph paints a picture of a greater Savior who would come one day, not just to save a few people, but to save all people who would call upon his name. Second observation to guide our time in Joseph, we have to know this. Joseph did not know how his story would unfold. Write that down. Unfold is your word. Joseph did not know how his story would unfold. And no matter how hard we try reading this backwards, when we go back to Joseph and we know the end from the beginning, it's hard for us to grasp sort of the, the gravity of all of his experiences because we know, ah, it's going to be all right. I know you're in a slave pit. It's all right. I know they're trying to kill you. It's all right. I know that she uh, just ripped your clothes off and you ran out the front door naked saying you didn't try to rape her. Um, this is going to be tough, but it's going to work out, Joseph. It's going to be okay. Like there's some crazy stuff in his story that as he's walking through, you're sitting here going, if you don't know the ending, it looks like bad news. Very bad news. Thrown into prison, totally abandoned and forgotten. But here's what he did know. He had a dream that God gave him, a picture of a different future. And he knew that if he stayed true to that, that God would come through for him. In the end, we have a picture, like Joseph did, of our future, of a time when Jesus will come back, when he will remake the earth. The Bible says the old earth will be done away with and a new one will be created. A global Eden where Jesus is king over all things. And we, his people, get to live with him forever. But between now and then, between now and then, well, Jesus says, don't even worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. Who's had some trouble today? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. 
Tomorrow's got enough trouble. Today's got enough trouble. Why am I even thinking about next week, right? There's some things that we don't know about. So we trust in God. We plan based on what we know. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow or even on Thursday. Just like Joseph had no idea what was going to happen when he was living in Potiphar's house. He had no idea what was going to happen when his brothers sold him into slavery. He had no idea what was going to happen when they first threw him into the pit. Matter of fact, all but one of his brothers wanted to kill him. Imagine that conversation. We should definitely kill him. Thank God Reuben steps up and says, no, don't kill him. We don't want his blood on our hands. But Joseph's sitting here. He's like moment by moment. I'm not sure what's going to happen. All I know is I had these dreams that God gave me. I think they're going to come true in some kind of way. So he just does the next right thing. And like Joseph, we don't know our future, but we do know who holds our future in his hands. I love what Paul says right here in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm sure of this. How many like to be sure of something? I want to be sure of something. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Not just part of the way, not just some of the way, not until he finds somebody better to work with. He will carry you and the work he started in you to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he is sure of and you can be sure of too. Number three, Joseph's story is our story. Write that down. Joseph's story is our story. His life did not happen by accident or by default. It happened because he came to one crossroad after another, after another, after another, where he chose right. He chose righteousness. He chose to follow Yahweh in spite of the circumstances he was facing. Look at six of the crossroads with me quickly. He chose to believe God, the dream. He chose to believe in the dream. Now he's probably foolish when he was 17. Knucklehead goes and tells people he didn't need to tell, right? We've all been 17 and good at it before. Joseph was 17 and good at it, but he still believed. It was true for him. That's why he told everybody. The second thing is, he chose to make the most out of his hardship. He's in slavery, and he chooses to make the most out of it. He chose to fear God more than Potiphar's wife. How many know that's a tough call, but he's sitting here going, you know what? I fear God far more than I would desire a moment of pleasure with a woman who is not mine. So he chose righteousness because he feared the Lord. Number four, he chose hope. Two years he spent in prison. Two years he spent in prison holding on to hope that God was going to redeem him and be faithful and true to his word. He chose to forgive his brothers. Remember, the ones that wanted to kill him, the ones that threw him into a pit, the ones that sold him into slavery and forgot about him and told his dad that he had been killed by animals out in the woods. How I many know it would be hard to forgive? Hard to forgive. But Joseph does. As we study his life, I hope that it give you the courage of forgiveness as well. Finally, he chose to see the big picture, so he was used to save others. Joseph chose to look past himself. You ever heard the weird term navel-gazing? That's what a lot of us do. And how many know where you set your eyes is where you go? So everyone's looking at their own problems all the time. Oh, this is my problem. I, I don't need to go here, but I just, my problem. I don't need to go over there, but it's just, it's my problem. It's just my problem. It's my problem. Joseph took his head up, got his chin up, said, I'm going to look ahead. I'm going to look above. I'm going to look towards God whose ways are higher. What did he say? My ways, not your ways. My thoughts, not your thoughts. Mine are far above yours. But because Joseph chose when he had plenty of things to look right here and go, God, I have been done wrong in every way. He chose to look up 
I'm going to be faithful to Yahweh because Yahweh will be faithful to me. And because of that, God was able to use him. Sometimes the way out of the problem that you're staring at is to stop looking at it and start looking at him. And you help him with the work that he's after, and he will help you fix the stuff you can't fix anyway. A lot of people stay stuck because they actually can't solve their problems. They need God's help. But they don't get his help because they're focused on their stuff instead of his. Which finally leads to number four where I'll close. And that's this. As good of a man as he was, great of a man as he was. God, God alone is the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. It's easy to forget through all the ups and downs of Joseph's life that there was an invisible hand saying, go here, walk this way, speak now, be quiet here, say this, don't say that, run out that door, don't go into this one. And all along the way, Joseph is falling. Never forget, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, became a great man. Would have never happened if God himself had not given Joseph prophetic insight to interpret a dream that Pharaoh had he couldn't understand. And we'll get into that later, but Pharaoh had us a dream. He can't figure it out. God tells Joseph, this is what's going on. You go tell him. It was not about Joseph. All he did was fix his eyes and follow. Fix his ears. Let him who have ears, let him hear. He heard, and then he took action. And for this, he was great, but God is still the hero of his story. And friends, I have to tell you, if you want to do something great, if you've ever done anything great, it's because of God. It's because of what God is doing, has done, and is yet to do in your life. We're going to see this over the next few weeks as we study the life of Joseph together. And as we study his life, you, my friends, are going to be empowered to live for Jesus in the midst of a culture that would rather silence you, shut you up, send you away, see you gone. We're going to learn how to follow Jesus in the midst of all this. And we're not alone in doing it, just like Joseph wasn't. I want to close by reading a final passage from Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done. And we thank you that we can fix our eyes on you, that you've already gone before us. I thank you that unlike Joseph, we're born into a better covenant. God, I don't know what we did to be born at a time so that we would be alive in 2023. But Lord, we are here and we are looking to you for answers, for wisdom, for light, for clarity, for vision. And here today, here today, God, I commit, we commit, to say we will be people of the book. We will be people of the way. We will be people who follow Jesus well. And like Joseph, no matter what we face, we'll fix our eyes on you, follow you all the days of our life, and live with courage and faith knowing that you are the ultimate hero of every single story.
Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.